Welcome to Elite Six Business Networking Think Tank, facilitated by your host, Danny DeHeck, the place where decision makers come together to share their experience, knowledge, and skills. Um, we'll go straight into the Think Tank meeting. I think everyone here basically knows who everyone is. Have I got that right? Uh, does anyone not know everyone? What about you, Penny? I don't think I know um, Paul. Paul? 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 Okay. What do you do, Paul? Hi, Penny. Can you hear Hi. me? Yep. Um, I run Canterbury, Canterbury Computer Services out at um, Rangura. So we do IT, basically everything for small businesses. So the internet security, Office 365, web hosting, websites. So entertained playing on those toys. What do you do, Penny? Mm-hmm. That might be oh, a good idea. Uh, I run a retail store in Kaikoura. Um I'm an importer. Import from Nepal, Thailand, and Bali. And I have a um, package tours to the Maldives, which are just on hold at the moment. Why is that? <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Because they're open. They're open and then I'm not. So we're not. Do you have a shop on the high street by any chance? <laughs> on the West End? In Kaikoura. Yes. yes, I do. Um, uh, next to the Why Not Cafe. Yeah, I've probably bought one of your jumpers. <laughs> oh, have you? Most, a lot of people have. <laughs> nice warm ones. Yeah. New Zealand <laughs> warm. Sent overseas yep, to be made into a jumper and yep. then re-imported. <laughs> that's probably the story I told you, was it? <laughs> uh, oh, that's good. Um, what happens if you um, cross a sheep with a kangaroo? A woolly jumper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a dad joke, isn't it? <laughs> it's a, almost a granddad joke now, Benny. Oh, yeah. I was in a... Um, what was I doing? I was in a something or other... Um, in a shop the other day and a girl said to me behind with the counter, that's a dad joke. And I was, I was appalled. <laughs> <laughs> my, jokes, my jokes aren't dads. Alrighty. So uh, welcome along to the think tank meeting. Uh, last week's topic was, I've forgotten already about this week's topic. More importantly is the one that we're doing. It's managing change. So um, lots of changes going on at the moment. Uh, I likened elite six um, when we was talking face-to-face on Wednesday at 9.30, that I don't want to basically set out a new format or regime that we're going to do. I kind of want to be fluid and, and rely on spontaneity. So I, I decided after that meeting and discussion that when we turn up at Elite Six going forward, I'd like people to not know the plan of attack, will not know the strategy or the format of the meeting, and we'll make it, as it up as it goes. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's kind of my way of uh, embracing change. So I'm just trying to think, well, what about your guys? If we look at the think tank meeting structure here, we've got experiences, problems, solutions, and takeaways, hopefully. What um, experiences have you guys had? Uh, just bear in mind when you do put your comments, try to put them in the chat box so that I can use them and grow this mind map. But at the moment, the big question is what are people's experiences with the changes that have been going on at the moment? How are you getting on with it? Yeah, well, I, I guess the, the big major one is the, um, particularly in level four, level three, 
uh, everyone was working from home and I guess the experience was that suddenly we got into this digital Zoom environment of which um, we continue on with. Yeah. One thing I, I try to do at the, the face-to-face meeting is run it a Zoom meeting in conjunction at the same time so people could join in and, and then that a lot of other new obstacles and barriers. Um, I think Chris was suggesting that I have a, a microphone and um, maybe a speaker so we can hear them and engage them more. And then I'm thinking to myself, oh, I don't feel like carrying around my tech gear anymore. I'm sort of tired of doing that, you know? So then I'm thinking, oh, what other tech gear could I use instead? Or, you know, but it's, it is all about that. Every obstacle, every time you have, you make a change, it seems to cause uh, it's like Einstein's theory, matter uh, creates matter. So every change has a reaction. And I mm. think that's what I'm experiencing with change. Is every time I do something, you know, like I, people, some people said to me they want face-to-face meetings. So then I started one. And now they say, oh, it's not the right day for me. And I, I'll, I'll let me know when you have one that suits me and they leave Elite Six. <laughs> and you sit there and you go oh okay but it was your, you know and it's like oh, you can't you know every action has a reaction I love that saying and it's so true and another saying Danny is you can't please all the people all of the time <laughs> can't if you've got lots of firsts <laughs> yeah uh, now what did you say Mark force everyone to embrace digital technology such as Zoom force for, oh, we are forced. Well, yeah, yeah. The the lockdown did do that. We were all forced yeah. to to embrace things. So, yeah. Well, that that's actually a really good analogy, actually, because there's things that with our experience of change, what what couldn't we control, yeah. and what were we forced to do? We didn't have any choice but to go digital. Right. Yeah. And then if you didn't have fast internet, you realise that wasn't a good idea, or whatever mm. it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a nice noise. One of the nice things about my career is it's totally about change because it's IT. When I came into it, it was punch cards and paper tape. And now just about every kid's got a more powerful computer in their pocket. But one yeah. of the things in business is resistance to change. Um, we've, I've put in new systems and had staff trying to impede the change. I've had staff that just couldn't cope with the change because we've always done it this way. Why do we need to change? And I've also had to um, have staff basically sacked because they refused to change. Um, so there's hell of a lot to manage when change takes place. And a lot of the time you find businesses, they will change, but they do not manage the change. And that causes them more problems than it was necessary necessary to have. Actually, I'd like that actually as a problem. Um, if you don't embrace change, what problem is? What happens if we don't embrace change, or we don't make changes? It's also it's also a case that a lot of businesses talk about making change, but actually have the heads in the sand and don't actually make any changes. Mm. There's yeah. a number of businesses that have come out of this COVID situation going, oh, our businesses have changed, we've embraced digital and stuff, and then they've, they've come back into Alert Level 1 and trying to do everything the same as it, they did it all before. Yeah. And often, Chris, it's sort of just cosmetic change anyway, just to, 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 to please outsiders, really. But, that, yeah, if you don't 
change the structures and, and things like that and manage it, um, as David's saying, or Paul's saying, then, um, yeah, you won't go anywhere. Mm. I, re- I bet you 90% of people who were doing these Zoom meetings are probably not doing them anymore. And I reckon yes. the ones that embrace changes will be the ones that will, uh, who are, I think the small to medium size, but not my wee illustration of going down the river of business, you can just float. But if you're a small, nimble business, we're used to change and we're used to molding and flexing where needed quickly. And these big passenger ferries going down that same river um, who just can't make those fast maneuverments are the ones that are kind of coasting even though they're in the business river. And that's where I reckon it's going to be interesting. Being able to change swiftly and quickly is, I reckon, a real asset in a business. There has to be a desire to change. Like... um, too many businesses will not embrace wanting to change what's happening in the industry and disrupting their industry, just doing the same old, same old, unless they're forced to change because of something that's happening external to them that's going to change their industry markedly. So you look at the, you look at the, you take the gym industry for an example and things, you know, COVID forced the, digital application across personal training around the world because there was no other choice. And now they come out of that, a lot of people them are switching back and aren't bothering to continue the virtual training, but there are now some that are offering completely everything virtual and aren't going back to physical because they're realizing a global market. Mm. So you either you either adopt the change and force that within your industry, regardless of external features, or you actually and become the disruptor, or you sit and wait and do what you always do until you're forced to change, which something like the pandemic forces you to do. I love the being disruptors. I reckon that's a really good analogy, actually. Disruptors in your industry. That's a point that uh, Chris, I think we need to just go a little bit further on. Is that it's one thing to see the change and embrace the change but it's also being able to continue to change and we're seeing headlines coming through left right and center of so much uncertainty that we have to be realistic to expect more change sooner rather than later including the economy just the way of life that this is a taste of our our new future yeah and going on from that lance and i agree with you oftentimes the change can be different from the people who are leading the change to those who have got to actually implement it who are on the receiving end, if you like. So I think, you know, the approach has got, there's got to be a twofold approach. You know, I think oftentimes people who are initiating change can see where they want to go, but the people who um, are affected by it very often um, feel a sort of a sense of dis- fear and disruption because they they don't understand. And so I think if we're leaders of change, we've actually got to make sure that the people who are going to be affected understand what it is, why, why it should be done, and why we need to move that way. 
I, I, yeah, I, I agree, David. I certainly found that out in my years of being a school principal where you've got all of these ex external factors and directives from um, the ministry and government. And, and as a leader, you really needed to accept the fact that change is always going to be present. And it was really um, getting in a mindset as when these new um, directives come, how you're going to manage it. But at the end of the day, and maybe it's because I was brought up on a farm, you had to sort of look at what was required, boil it down to its key points, and then look at um, put in the common sense factor. Yeah. One of the big things, one of the big things I've seen a number of times for businesses especially is not looking at the data, making change for change's sake without actually examining the data that's under, underpinning whether or not the change is actually required, mm. you know, and, and whether that change is the right direction based on the, upon the data within your business. Mm. People think, you know, there's all good making gut calls and things and sometimes, you know, they will pan out. But a lot of the time, you would so much data sitting within a business that a, that a business doesn't actually look at and utilize and understand and then when the change is either forced on them by the industry or external factors, if they don't understand the, the data within their business, then what changes should they be really making for their business? Mm. If any. Uh, that saying you got, Paul, where'd you get that from? Which one? Uh, the, uh, I haven't heard of that before. Um, prior experience. <laughs> if, if you're if you're trying to change an organization and how it functions if you don't have the buy-in of the chief executive or the senior board you're wasting your time because everybody that um, doesn't like change is going to fight you if it's got the backing of the senior member of staff they're less likely to um, mm. I can give you a good example when I was in another company um, I noticed a lot of people were wasting t time playing games all day on their computers and cruising TAV sites. And uh, well, was that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and after discussing it with the director, I said, "Well, we can stop all this just by sticking a network in." And he said, "Go ahead and do it." So I did it, and everyone screamed "Blue Murder." So I just got all the senior managers around the board table at the next management meeting and said, right, I've been asked to do this. These are all the various categories. Um, should I block them or keep them open? And the CEO was at the table with us. And everything I blocked, because the CEO was there, nobody resisted. So all those people that have been complaining, all of a sudden their complaints went away. So if you can get senior management on board, it helps you manage not just change, but any project, I would argue, although most projects are change, of course. Yeah, I, I used to find too, as a leader, when I had 50-odd staff, sometimes before I initiated certain change uh, elements that you knew um, were well-based and, and stuff, is I used to sort of pick out the small group of naysayers and hand-ringers and people who were change-resistant people and get alongside them first and win them over and then fire them back into the big group when I introduced the change. And suddenly that, that helped that culture um, 
all the way through because these people had already processed it in their mind? I think if it's not managed, it will fail. Mm, absolutely. So is that, uh, are we talking about problems that can yeah. come from change? Well, change yeah. is a process, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Oh, implementing change. Yeah. That's, a, you know. I yeah. think you have to be clear if on, uh, especially if you've got your staff and things, on why the change is being made what the benefits to the business longer term are going to be for people to start to understand and buy into what that change is actually going to do. Because a lot of the time I've seen a change will come from, from the top and you go, well, why? And, and there's not the understanding down the line. And as a line manager, you might get asked for your staff why things are happening and you find you have to go and find out and you come back and explain and then they buy into the change. But if, before that, there's a lot of resistance because there's not a clear explanation of why the change is being made and what the expectation from that change is actually going to do. We had, um, I remember when I had facilitators running my group, I couldn't make changes swiftly without telling them why. And then it was like disrespectful if I didn't tell them the right way sometimes. You know, so, you know, you know and then I had to come up with a better system for doing that. Or, you know, and that's the problem, I think, when you want to make a change in your <laughs> implementation may not be pretty cool. But I think um, change also always involves risk, doesn't it? So change management involves risk management, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, change management, risk management. Risk, that's a good question, yeah. isn't it? Actually, as, I, as we're looking at this list, some of the things we're putting up here now could actually be moved across to the solutions box. Uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, could you change that, please? We've drifted, we've drifted from the topic, and I, I include myself there. Oh, so what's the solution? Not managing change? That's a problem? And being transparent, clarifying? Yeah, well, that's the solution. And there, yeah, I realised as I was put it in. First, we'll need to analyse the data as to why that needs to be changed. Yeah. Boom. The, the people need to understand. It's like... If I take the analogy of what I'm looking at at the moment around this, uh, the youth and bullying in New Zealand, why does there need to be a change? Why is it, a, what is it? And most people don't understand the extent until you put some hard facts in front of them and then they go, holy, with this needs to change. Yeah. So putting the context around why there needs to be change in front of people inevitably will hopefully change their viewpoint or understanding of what an issue is yeah it increases buy-in doesn't it chris absolutely it, yeah not related i got a message from a lady today telling me that she'd like to get the end of a chat because we we're brought up in the same religion but the ladies read listen to my blog and the lady's been out of the religion for 30 years and it still has an impact on her life and i was talking to you yesterday chris and i was talking about you know with your bullying bullying stuff you know, the reason, another main reason that it needs to change is because these little wee 12 year old kids can imp impact somebody's life. You know, and that's well, it's just, that's really interesting because I was just working on an exercise and this might be a related change or not, but to take two apples, yep. perfect apples, and bang one on the ground and, and hit it a few times and drop it and hold it back up. They still look absolutely perfect. But if you cut into them, 
Yeah, that's cool. One of them's got all the bruises under the surface and there's absolutely no way to repair that. That's brilliant. That's really good. Yeah. And, and it's a, an example of exactly what you're saying that 30 years down the track, that impact is still there and yet people don't realize. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Great metaphor. Great metaphor, Chris. It is. It's a really goodie. Um, just Nigel, while you're there, your comment, where was that going? Oh, I just thought you might want to put it in there as far as the, um, um, I don't know, it was just a comment really on change in risk. Okay, so it's uh, is it an experience, a problem? No, it wasn't. It was just an observation, so I suppose you could put that in as a, um, I don't know, put that in as a takeaway perhaps. Change involves, so, okay, yeah, also, takeaway, there we go. Also, what you're saying there, that risk management is part of change, I think there's a change affects people. There's a huge part of change is people management. Mm. Mm. You have to understand the impact change will have on people. I take Black Lives Matter's movement at the moment. You know, the impact, some of the changes that are being touted around and thrown in the media downstream on sectors of society or business is massive. Mm. And yet the, the, the impact to people is not being thought about. So you have to have people management at the forefront of change management. So yeah, look, agree more. You know, it's oftentimes with change, what it is, it's about procedures and systems. And people get focused on that and forget about the people who have got to do the implementation. And that's you're quite right, Chris. That's, that's, that's where the focus should always be, on the people who have got to do the implementation. And that's why you often find in the bigger corporates, particularly, that they will headhunt out new CEOs and things from across the world who may, in fact, have no knowledge of that particular industry. And I'm, I'm thinking of the guy who's now running in New Zealand. He was being the, one of the senior executives of Walmart. Um, and so he's been brought in for his external skills and experiences because the team underneath him is big enough. All he really needs to know is who does what, and he just needs to use his experiences to, to, to uh, build that team further. Interesting guy, and uh, uh, speaking to um, somebody who's in that industry, and they actually really like him. But they had somebody in there that's now on permanent garden leave, <laughs> who they've just put on garden leave. Who was a, you know, one of those. I don't know, but it's just interesting listening to people's point of view from watching from the outside and then being inside those companies and being affected, to, you know, you know, in real time with people's decisions. Yeah, but sometimes. Um, people are brought into companies like that basically just to stir it all up, mm. break it, change the culture, and then they are put on gardening leave and someone else comes in and then they build it back up again. And that's a strategy. They do that on purpose. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Cool. All right, guys, where are we going with this uh, conversation today? Is this is a good topic. I think change. So is it useful for us? I've, I feel like I've making changes especially over the last three or four months, continuously, really. Um, I find it, because um, I'm a one-man band, kind of, um, I'd like to think that when you make a change, I don't believe in making mistakes. I never have. Um, but I always make readjustments. And I do love a quote that we got from Michael Mayo, who said that uh, you've got to have your failures in business because they are the compost for your next um, business venture and I just love that idea that so 
with change, we often make a change if it's set in concrete and we're not flexible. Often a change I make, I'll change it halfway back or try it didn't work. But sometimes it's hard to retreat a change <laughs> when you've made it. When you have it, when you're looking at a change, you need to clearly establish the boundaries of that change and the expectations of that change and a time frame to evaluate. If you don't give a change time to actually make a difference, then you don't have the right data to evaluate whether the change is correct or not. And the and even if it maybe is positive long term, the short term knee jerk will be to revert back to what was there before or some halfway position. Mm. rather than the positive change for the long-term view of the, of the business. So it's very clear when you're looking at any changes that you actually need to outline, you know, how you're going to evaluate whether that change is being successful or not and how long you should actually allow the change to be in place to say whether it has been successful or not. Isn't that gauging? Like, don't you make a change and then measure? Isn't there a saying around that? Measure, analyze, implement, or something? Well, yeah. What you can't measure, you can't manage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think, uh, yeah, you know, like some, I was, I'm doing a lot of promotion around myself at the moment for the DeHeck brand, and I felt like I kind of lost my way. <laughs> Um, and I'm sort of now going back to what I should have done 20 years ago and stayed on target. And I think, you know, you can listen to the noise around you and your industry a little bit too much sometimes, but I think you want to wing it and go with your gut instinct, you know? So I don't know if you guys. I think there's a balance, Danny, between your gut instinct and understanding industry and data in it. And, data within your business what it's saying you've got to you got to find that balance because you don't want to lose your gut instinct because it comes from your experience and understanding everything that you've put into growing your company but you can't you can't just ignore data around you or data other data in your business if it's saying something glaringly obvious like you're not making any money and then you go oh there's a reason i have to do a job as well to bring in income yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, good stuff, guys. Uh, keep your notes coming through. So, um, data, measuring, gauging, that's what I'm sort of thinking that is a, a solution. Or is that a... Or monitoring, Danny. Monitoring. Yeah, monitoring. Mm. Who knows how to spell monitoring? I don't. M-O-N-I-T. Oh, my God, you want to do it that way? <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll write it. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> in embrace change. I-T-O-R-N. I T O R M. Here's a good example, actually. That doesn't oh, look right. Sorry, no, not in. There we go. O R I N G. So this is a good example, actually, because everything I do is actually lagged. So that was updated, and there it updates. Yeah. So, right. uh, so if I went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, mm. so. So that's uh, interesting. So that's from one person's perspective to another, isn't it, in a way? Because they assume often there's always a – I always say to people when I make a change, there's always a method of my madness. 
you know, and then if you make a change that you've, let's say you've gone to a committee and you've had 10 people sit down and you worked out the best solution going forward like the government does, and then they go out to the, the peasants and go, we're making a change. We're now working. And then all of a sudden the government, uh, everyone is just, how can you just make a change like that? Oh, we haven't just made it like that. We've actually had board meetings for the last two years and now we're implementing it. So maybe that's, that's the thing where we're going wrong. Implementation. How do we implement it? Is that the... Well, I guess your point is it's lack of communication around that. I'll just put that in as a problem. Yep. Yeah. But, is it, but it's, it actually is symptomatic of the whole change process. At any stage, it can fall over because someone doesn't do what they need to do. And it's, it's, as Lance is saying, it's around that level of uh, communication and transparency. Yeah. Lack of communication. Oh, I'm going to have pancakes for breakfast. Just remembered I'm going to. Uh, because I'm a creature of habit. Now, since I've said that, habits. Um, are they the limiting factor of change? And yes. is it, am I right that it takes three weeks to form a habit and three days to break a habit? So, like... I think it was Chris was saying just a minute ago that um, you need to give it time for people to get used to it. But how do you buy people's faith that you know what you're doing? <laughs> my um, online shops are funny because somebody's suggesting that they don't like my standardized emails. So then I wrote them a great big long personalized email back. And I said, but if I did that to 1,800 emails and I spent 10 minutes writing my email to everyone, do the maths on that, it's just not feasible. And I said, the other reason I don't write personalized emails is I'm dyslexic and I miss out words. And you would think I was a three-year-old when you read it. So I said, I need to get everything I do proofread before I send it if I want to be professional because I get judged on my professionalism because of the way they read my words. Not that I'm an idiot. <laughs> Anyway, so I wrote this all in a long email <laughs> and sent it off to a lady because she wanted a personalized response. And I said, and it's always good how much advice I get from 1,800 people how I should do things different. In the meantime, I've answered one of my 1,800 emails and I had 1,799 to go. Have a good day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just made me laugh in a wee way because it is, if people really understand your business, and you're making changes, then they surely must think that you have some sort of indication of why you're doing it. Or, so how do you, uh, you know, how do you let people know there's a method of my madness politely? I've got to go, guys. Catch you later. All right, mate. The term trust me. And unfortunately, I have to scoot too. And uh, right, no, you don't love us. It's fine. Uh, good on you, mate. Have a good, great day. You think you uh, just that um, term you perhaps you're looking for, Danny, was trust when you're trying to communicate for them. Just trust me in the reason I'm making the change, whatever it is I'm doing. Well, isn't it? Because it's the trust from the person making the change and the trust that your customers buy into what you're doing, so they trust you. So it kind yeah, of leads it's, it's, way. It's actually in build trust. The, the change leader should be able to do that if he's got the staff who trust him or her 
However, if the leader says, and it would always would be a worry for me, is um, here's a change, please do it, just trust me, that would be a concern because they actually haven't built up the trust within their team. Yeah, the respect in a way, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so trustworthy is perhaps a better term. Yeah. May well be. All right. Trust See you later. Me. Have a good weekend. Good luck. Okay. See you, mate. Did you like what I did with that? That's voice recognition. Uh, oh, communi uh, communicating you are trustworthy. Yeah, what about, um, can we go about Mr. Bloomfield, who got thrown under the bus by the guy that got fired? That was quite funny watching that all happen. Um, I'm sure <laughs> the guy... He's fired getting... himself in the end. He's what? He's fired himself. Yes, I think so. Oh, God. Amazing. <laughs> I think that was a foregone conclusion from day one, really. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, yeah he, think... he, he did have uh, Jacinda's foot on the back of his neck, though. But mm. <laughs> I, I think it was amazing watching that happen. Um, yeah, but it was he showing? Oh, I mean, uh, uh, let's get a bit political. This new national partner, part, partner guy. I mean, does he show good leadership skills when they uh, first come out of the <laughs> gate and they just bag the opposition? Is oh, and I go, is that all you've got to do? Like, if I wanted a strategy for being a politician at the moment, I would go out there and commend the good that the government has done. And I would focus on that and supporting the government and backing them. And that would show, personally to me, more leadership skills than somebody coming out continuously criticising every, every bit of wrong that they can find. But that's why they're called the opposition, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, in, but in some ways, Danny, on, on when old Todd Muller launched himself on day one, he always did say that, that the government done a great job now, but yeah. we in the National Party, we are actually, we are, we are experts on building economies. So as we go through this process, that's what we're going to do. The only problem is that in the intervening five weeks, he hasn't filled that space with what they're actually going to do. <laughs> yeah. I love watching them. I, I still, I've actually had to stop watching, I, even though I still am, Donald <laughs> Trump overseas. Because it fascinates that. I just don't get it. You know, and um, well, he doesn't either. That's too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think who takes that job up? Who wants to be a politician? And why? Is it? I mean, it, I, 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 yeah. Oh, power, Danny. Yeah. Is it running the country into the ground? Hey, if you want to read a good book on Donald Trump, read Fire and Fury. Fire and Fury by a guy called Michael Wolf with two Fs. Oh yeah. Okay, I'll put it in my it's list. Of it's listeners. a jolly good read about how their system and how he, he, he hasn't worked it properly. Give me the book name. I'll put it down there. Uh, it, it's Fire and Fury. Uh, you're going to put it in the chat window, Dave. I know, okay, you're gonna, I'll do that. I know you're embracing change. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's break this into our business, uh, more importantly, really, is um, if we were... Okay, so we've had, we've had lots of change. We've implemented a lot of change. Uh, have we had success in change? Well, if you don't, you're actually in a bit of trouble, really. So you shouldn't be just doing change for the sake of doing, doing change. Sometimes it is compliancy and legislatively driven, in which case it may not bring any net uh, gain to the business. But by and large, you've got to change for a, a, a good reason. Then have to have ways to measure that change to see that it's been effective. Mm. If, I, if I was to paint my own little wee picture, 
with all the changes I've had with Elite Six lately, I actually feel like I've got the company I want now, <laughs> which is ironic. And I think if it isn't the right fit for people, I get that. But now I'm thinking I want to go after a new audience. And I'm looking forward to that. You know, and unfortunately, I, I, I've realized I can't cater to everyone. Um, but even the ones that I've offered the most suggestions, sometimes the one that haven't embraced change, which is ironic, really. So that, you know, I had a member leave this morning who's been with us for a couple of years because, um, and they want me to let them know when we go back to face-to-face -face meeting. And I said, oh, we've got one. Oh, have you? <laughs> and it's, you know, and, and, it's not, and it's a shame because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, um, another member gone that's been loyal to us for two or three years. And that hurts a bit. But then you think, well, okay, now I want new, new members who get this stuff. And that's exciting. So, you know, but it's hard to retain, it's hard to retain people, I feel, that don't like change. But give you a whole lot of suggestions on the way out that you should do this and you should do that, but I'm left. Don't know. One thing that I've found in my industry, which is design or, or architectural design, is when I work with clients, they want to know how many options I'm going to give them, and I tell them I'm going to give you one. Hmm. And because the positive aspect, I try to put a positive spin on change, and we refer to them as refinements. So we're not changing your design, we're refining your design. So what you're actually doing is turning the, the concept of vary, varying or deviating away from what you were doing to the, a solution that's a refinement of where you were. So it's a positive aspect. And, and why would someone not prefer to refine a business, a structure, a detail when it's for the betterment of it, when a change can be sometimes perceived as a negative? So is change positive? Is that the... Well, change can be perceived. A lot of people don't like change. Um, and and that's one of the reasons why when I'm working on design, we talk about keep refining the building. So as we deviate from a direction that we went to, it's a better direction that we're going in. Mm. Yeah, so it's all about you as the leader managing the process in a way that you want to get the outcome that the client wants. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I heard of a, um, that book I was talking about this morning, if you're in here, um, uh, it was, uh, it's called, um, flip it. And I, the kid was talking about, well, he's not a kid, how his parents used to go to the Chinese shop and he used to always get number 39. And that was what they got every Friday night. Dad got takeaways and we'd got home and opened up number 39 and would have whatever they had. And then one day <laughs> they went to the takeaway shop and they got somebody else's order and when the family got around the table they opened up the food and realized it wasn't what they ordered so then they all tried a different dish with uh, the different dishes and then they made a, a vow that next time they go to do the takeaway shop they would never order the same dish twice and they embraced change and enjoyed the experience. And the guy said that was how he lives life now. He never wants to. And when I drive around New Zealand, which I go on holiday, I very rarely go back the same way I, the same road I've traveled. I always find a new path home and it's never, and I embrace change. I love change. I love doing that. I always think of that 
every time somebody's not changing something, I always think of number 39 at the takeaway shop. Hmm. Most lose results of changing the most resistant change. Is that, um, where's that one go, Paul? Those with most... No, it's a, it's a takeaway and a problem, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'll just put it as a takeaway. That's right. I was looking for the original quote. I think it was Genghis Khan or someone like that made it. Basically saying those with the most to lose are going to be those that resist the change the most. Yeah. I've, I've definitely experienced that whilst doing IT projects. Sorry, I'm editing Dave's comment there. <laughs> Is that right now, Dave? Two Fs, isn't it, Wolf? Just hold on. Yeah, it's two Fs on the on the Wolf as well. Sorry, Wolf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And no E or two Fs. No, no E and two Fs. And it's got an L like that. Is that how you spell Wolf? That's, a, that's yeah. how you spell it. Yep. Yep. Jesus. That's how you spell his name. Oh, right. <laughs> All right. Good stuff, guys. All right. <clears throat> All right. What have we got? We've got um, we've got fifteen minutes left. Um. We need to, um, what have we got up to so far? I really do actually like that, that big message there. What's the reason for change? What return is required? What return is required from change? There's also be a benefit from it. Yeah. Okay. And then what are the risks involved in the change? What resources are required to deliver the change? And who is responsible to build Okay, so uh, I, I, I would just jump in there and I'd actually suggest there's an eighth one and and that is how do you measure that the change was successful at the end? Because so often people do it and then they move on to the next change thing and they haven't actually embedded what they've put in place. That's really good. I like that. So what are you saying? You were saying how um, do we know the change was good? Yeah, how do we measure it? Yeah. Do people, well, as, as you say, Mark, I think a lot of places they don't measure it because business environment's so dynamic, they don't have the time to go back. If it's changing, it's working, they're on to the next project. Uh, well, actually, have you got some examples of big companies that we know that have made change? Um, is there any, like, I know Kodak was a really good example a few years ago. They didn't change with technology. Um, and then I'm thinking of companies like Netflix who used to actually have a service where they used to post you the C uh, DVDs in the mail and you'd have them for a week and then you'd send them back. And now look at that company. Yeah. That's made changes for the better and it, within oh, the yeah. times. Yeah. Look at, and how about Sky TV? Yeah. What about them? Yeah. If you look at Nokia, Nokia used to make paper and they changed from making paper to making mobile phones and then they didn't keep up with the smartphone and disappeared. Microsoft bought them up to make the Microsoft phones, which failed, and then got sold back to Nokia. Mm. And you've got just this yeah. week, Olympus have announced that they're getting out of cameras. Really? Yep. Ah. Yeah. Because they didn't keep up with the mobile phones, which is what everybody's got a camera in their pocket, which is probably a thousand times better than the old Olympus trips. Yeah. Sorry, good. Mark? But, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, in, in more recent times, it was like 
you know, companies sometimes think that change will be good for their clients. And I'm thinking of here in New Zealand, they changed the recipe for Milo. And yes. then suddenly there's this huge backlash and people stopped buying the stuff and they realized, oh shit, we've actually made an error here. And they went back to the original recipe. Like classic Coke, isn't it? Hmm. What about um, Whitaker's? Did the same with Cadbury's. Remember, they changed the amount of the size of their bars without telling their customers. Oh yeah, but but Cadbury's did the palm oil thing, and they just yeah. blew their blew their customer base out of the water. I yeah. don't think I bought Cadbury's then. Sorry, yeah. and it's the same thing with Air New Zealand. If you think about it, you know they've created a whole lot of ill will because they haven't handled the change well with the refunds. Yeah, actually, uh, can we add examples? Examples of bad changes. Um, company I worked for changed their IT, IT system and it failed and the whole company went bust in about three months. They didn't know who owed them the money, who they owed money to, or what inventory they had in the warehouses. Wow. <laughs> that yeah. would not be good. <laughs> yeah. Classic case, Paul, eh, of not doing parallel running. Yep, I was quite surprised because when I upgraded their system, I did a parallel run and we had no problems. Yeah. But they hey, got um, some experts in. Those companies that we just mentioned, uh, somebody rattled a few of those companies off, just those companies that have made changes. Um, Nokia, Co. Cadbury's. And, well, how about in the chat box? Just All right. Say, okay. Yeah. Just a couple because I think changed. that's a good example of companies that just foobarred it really bad, and that always fascinates me. I think the problem with Cadbury's was more the fact that Cadbury's got sold to an American company that decided they were going to cut costs and make it like American chocolate. Actually, yeah. that's a good topic. Actually, uh, the reason why people are making changes is to cut costs. But every time you do, uh, you know, you know, cut out a cost. It, it does you know it can change a lot can it um cabri is that how you smell it yep 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 yeah no i just thought we'd have a couple of wee examples in there uh, milo what did coke do um, milo was out, out of nestle was it okay nestle spelt wrong in mind how do you spell it it's got an acute over the E. That's Friend. what I have. I've got acute over the E. It's in the wrong place. No, it's not. That, that's not an acute. Well, well, I, well I've, it's a, it's a, no, I'm it's... an insurance broken now, Paul. Professions. You're still supposed to know you're a teacher. <laughs> right. Look, I'm trying to manage change here. All right? <laughs> Jesus. It's calming down, guys. Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool, man. Good stuff. Um, yeah, no, the computer software actually keeps correcting it, so it's not even... I don't think it's your acute thingy. <sighs> Let's make that cool. All right, thanks, guys. We appreciate that. It's quite good, actually, to get this uh, in a way. What have we got there? Seven. Well, that was a bit freaky, isn't it? Can't read that. Sorry. Uh, right, you have to wait for the changes to happen. Ah, uh, 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 there we go. And there we are, 30, oh, 32, too big now. What the hell is happening here? I've gone too far, you see. A bit. <laughs> good. The system, I'm up to 40, got to go back to 38. I think there's a bit of lag, just saying. Yeah. That's all right. Maybe, uh, yeah. 
Keep no, it there. one more. That's it. And now we go bold and not bold. And now we go grey because we've got to always have the same colour. All right. Don't play with pencils. Oh, you can see the pencils. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, my wee track. That's quite a cool little graphic. Yeah. yeah. Um, right, so we've got Cadbury's Air New Zealand refunds. Oh, yeah. So Air New Zealand, obviously, there's a company that's a good example, isn't it? Because theoretically, they've made tons of changes over the years, and they obviously the country needs to have an airline. So... Um, so they they kind of we have to put up with their changes, or maybe it's governmental. You know that, what I'm saying is some things that we just like the government makes a change. We just have to wear it, don't we? Yeah. Well, fifty-one percent of Air New Zealand is owned by the government. Yeah. Which hasn't got any balls, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, wheels, well, if you look at Air New Zealand, they've totally pulled apart the regional airlines. So it costs you more to fly from Christchurch to Auckland than it does from Christchurch to Brisbane. Well, Queenstown's the most expensive route. But, but in so doing it, they basically destroyed their brand as far as New Zealanders go. Because a lot of New Zealanders just say, I'll stuff them. I've got no loyalty to them. They're just an international airline now. They, because Air New Zealand hasn't got any loyalty to the regions, why should people care what happens to it? In a business sense, I think what they're doing at the time was to starve out the jet stars of this world by making a lot of routes non-profitable and stuff. Which is what they oh, did. Allegedly yeah. non-profitable, yeah. yeah. I reckon I'd love to be the uh, guy in Sky TV because I, we found out they advertise the other day that you can get Sky Television for $31 a month and you can um, stream it from your mobile phone onto your TV. But when we looked at it, I thought, oh, yeah, about time they come into line, because it's still twice the price than Netflix and all the other ones. They're and then when I go there, you have to create an account for $25 plus $31. So now you're paying $55, $60 for your Sky membership. And that's if you don't want the box and you just want to stream it over your phone. But that, yeah. that because that company hasn't changed, uh, with the times and that I don't know their licensing agreements means they can't charge less I don't know what the guts is there, but every time I leave sky, which I've done twice <laughs> um, I sit there and I think oh, their company. I, I can't stand them and that, the whole process is horrible But I think there's a company that could do well with a lot of changes And I don't know why somebody hasn't stepped in there and done it because it's probably an internationally ran company and they uh, feed it um, out to the countries the Sky New Zealand is almost like a franchise. It's it's separate from Sky UK and Sky around the world. They're all regional franchises, essentially. Yeah. Because in the UK, yeah. 20 years ago, the Skybox recorded your programs. When we came to New Zealand, that wasn't even available. And when it did become available, you had to pay extra for it. Whereas in the UK, it was standard. And it's the same with lots of products. If you buy a car in the UK it will come with heated wing mirrors or to, because that's the minimum standard of the marketplace. But because New yep. Zealand's marketplace is so small, the companies get to dictate what they want to do. Or not want to do. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff, guys. Um, yeah, so what am I saying? I'm asking, um, what am I doing? Um, I'm thinking, what companies can you see at the moment that you think would be good if they had changes? 
Now, what, what would you like to see a change in? Like what, or is there a change in your company or business that you're trying to change and you're struggling with? I'll give you a really good example. I had two people pay me for an hour of my time yesterday and they booked online and they booked an hour of my time and paid me 150 Australian dollars because my system won't allow it. And finally, I'm thinking at last, and I had a really good Zoom meeting with a lady and I've been trying to get... Uh, and this lady, after she had the Zoom meeting with me, she said, now, how do I, can I just ring you up and ask you questions and, and basically pick my brains after this meeting? <laughs> and I said, no, what I'd recommend is that you, in two weeks' time, uh, come up with a, an agenda, that you, questions that you want, write them all down, and then book me for another meeting. And we'll go through and give you an uh, answer to those questions. And maybe just a half-an-hour meeting, seven-hour meeting. And I thought, oh, and I got off the phone, I said, I quite like doing this this way. I just need a couple of those appointments a day and I'd be set. But getting people to fill out a form, use the booking thing, it actually works really well for me and I enjoy it. And I kind of don't really want to go back to, the funny thing is this particular lady, when she rang me, couldn't get the Zoom meeting going because she didn't have a microphone on her computer. So she finished up FaceTiming me and said, oh, can we do it this way on my phone? And I, half my demo was doing screen sharing stuff. It was just funny, you know, but I don't know, but something I've been trying to implement for ages. Next week's topic, where did we go? Um, well, any more takeaways? Um, should we go out for lunch and have a nice, some chips, sit around the fire and some mulled wine? Sounds good, doesn't it? Hey, Danny, sorry, mate, got to go. All right, dude. Good night. Right, make the topic about David next week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Communication? Uh, sorry? Communication? Um, implementation? No, communication. Uh, yeah, that's what I was sort of thinking when people communicate. It's if you had a change and you're trying to um, communicate with it, it's all part of... I'm thinking in general um, how you communicate to your clients, how you communicate to the general public. Yeah, yeah. So it does it cover quite a broad spectrum. Yeah, it is broad, broad enough, Paul, that we'd get a fair bit out of it potentially. All right, communication skills or communication? Communication. Skills is a subset of it anyway. Communication. Communicating. This is how I can actually talk to my computer and the words actually come up on the screen just about word for word. I don't know if you guys can hear me at the moment while I'm doing this, but this is how I get yeah. Can you hear me at the same time while I'm doing that? Yeah, of course, Carl. Yeah. All yeah. right, so that's good. It's splitting the that's, mic. A, that's just double scary then. Yeah, it's pretty clever, isn't it? Mine told me I did a message last night about meeting somebody, and somehow it picked up the word raped. And I'm thinking, what the hell? <laughs> I would like to come and meet. Oh, rape! <laughs> it would not be. Yeah. <laughs> no, good stuff, guys. All right. Well, I'll end the meeting there on the recording. So thank you for coming along to our think tank meeting. So next week's meeting will be on communication. And um, by all means, leave comments and uh, check out our website, elite6.co.nz. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Oh, and feel free to join us online. I can't spell. <laughs> can't spell?
Communicating. <laughs> oh, I can't spell. I don't claim to Communicating, I spelt it. Never mind. All right, thanks, mate. No, that's me, not you. Right, mate. Bye, 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 mate. B